So turn in your Bibles this morning as we continue our study in the Gospel of Matthew. We are in chapter 6, beginning in verse 25, but we're going to back it up to verse 24 to uh, sort of gain some context. And we're going to be talking about your favorite topic this morning, which is anxiety and worry. And we're going to see what the Bible has to say about that topic as Jesus is teaching in this thing called the Sermon on the Mount. So if you are there with me in Matthew chapter 6, we'll begin reading in verse 24. And the word of God reads as follows. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink nor about your body what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Lord, thank you for your word, and we know that all of us, Lord, this is a 100% kind of a passage because worry and anxiety affects every one of us in some way. And so, Lord, speak to us about this this morning. Show us how it interferes with our relationship and our fellowship with you, but more importantly, show us how we can follow you in such a way that worry and anxiety and fear are taken out of the process and that we can walk in faith and trust and hope and dependence upon you. We look forward to what you have to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you excited? Ready to deal with this issue? It affects everybody, doesn't it? You know, we've been talking through the Sermon on the Mount here, and Jesus is just uh, dealing with everything. I mean, we still have a whole chapter to go, chapter 7. And he's not just giving us commands or telling us things that, you know, it's, like, it's not like divine advice. This is the Word of God. This is our Lord Jesus telling us what works and what doesn't. So as we talked about last week in verse 24, no one can serve two masters, so we can't have a divided loyalty in our relationship with Christ. 
It says he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And mammon is wealth and riches. It's materialism. It's all the things that affect us. It's affected people throughout history. And certainly we live today in one of the most materialistic and money-oriented societies ever. We watch our investments if you are uh, blessed enough to have such a thing uh, in terms of a retirement account or a 401k, and we get anxious when the market goes down and we see a, a big drop of money in our account, and uh, we get excited when it goes up. And these are the things that kind of control us today. But this morning, uh, our Lord Jesus, I believe, and the Holy Spirit would have us kind of set all those things aside and look at the heart of the matter, to look at the issue, the root of our relationship with him, which is our faith. And he says in verse 25, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. Now I can hear some of your minds spinning already, because there's three times in this passage where Jesus says specifically, do not worry. Many of us might be sitting there saying, yeah, but that's easier said than done. And we have our excuses, and some of us are the excuse people, right? As soon as somebody says something positive, we have the yeah, but, you know, ready for them to say, but you don't understand. You don't understand my life. I think Jesus understands our lives. So this morning, I'm asking you as we approach this passage of Scripture to come to it with an open heart and an open mind understanding that the Lord understands everything about me and about you and about life. You can't look at it and say, well, Jesus lived 2,000 years ago in sort of prehistoric Palestine and all of that, and he didn't have all the stuff we have today. He didn't have to contend with, you know, internet and working from home during COVID and all of the crazy things that affect our lives. No, no, no. Life is always the same. The issues of life are always the same. They just present in different forms. He says, verse 25, again, let me remind you, if you have a red letter edition Bible, these words are in red. That means Jesus spoke them. Therefore, I say to you, Jesus says, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Perhaps it could be argued that Jesus is dealing with the most basic issues of life. What we eat, what we drink, what we wear. I mean, if you think about it, if we strip away everything, let's just say this morning every one of us was broke. We have a hundred bucks in the bank and we can't pay our bills. What are the issues you're facing? What am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? Do I shelter? Do I, do I have a roof over my head? So Jesus has stripped away all the stuff and he says... When you get right down to it, day-to-day -day living, these issues are the things that we are concerned about. And all the other stuff we get concerned about, they're just subservient, really, to these things. Because at the heart of the matter, the point of the issue is this. All of us are worriers. All of us are control freaks at some level. Okay? Let's just get it out of the way. Raise your hand this morning if you're a control freak. Okay? A lot of you are lying right now. Okay? Okay? We all are control freaks at some level. What does the word worry mean? Let's define it according to what the word in the scriptures mean. 
The word means to be anxious, to care for something, to be careful, to take thought. In fact, if you're reading the King James, it says take no thought or take no anxious thought. It means to be troubled with cares, to look out for something, to seek to promote your own interests. Uh, It's all about toil and trouble and cares. And he says here, do not worry about your life. It's been said of worry that worry gives small things a big shadow. Worry is putting question marks where God has put periods. Worry is merely unbelief parading in disguise. Someone else has said, worry never improves the present, but it always ruins the future. These things are all true of worry. And God immediately goes in verse 26 to a very basic element. And he says, look at the birds of the air. Look at nature. For they neither sow nor reap, They don't gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Right there, I think we're undone, aren't we? Let's ask the question this morning. Do you believe, do I believe, that I'm more important to God than birds? He hasn't even gotten to the lilies of the field yet. That's coming up. Look at the birds of the air. Look at the animals. Doesn't God provide for them? Yes, God provides for them. And if God takes care to provide for the birds of the air, and if man, his created being, whom he created in his image, remember the animals are not created in the image of God. God created man to rule over his creation. Man, mankind, men and women, we are more important to God than birds. Yet God takes care of the birds in such an intricate way. And he asks the question, are you not of more value than they? Now, I hope that you can answer in the affirmative this morning in your mind that, yes, I know that I'm more important to God than birds. I hope that you can accept that because if you do, it's going to help us as we go through this passage and as we deal with the issue of worry and anxiety and fear. And he says, which of you by worrying, verse 27, can add one cubit to his stature? Now, we tend sometimes to think of that as, you know, know, I'm just trying to add a quarter inch to my height. I just want to be a little bit taller. But the cubit in the Bible was deemed to be 18 inches. So now you see the absurdity of the statement. Which of you by worrying can add 12 to 18 inches to your height? You can't do that. You can't. There's no way you can do that. You can't change your genetics. God gave them to you in the way that you are. Which of you, by worrying, can change those things? And the obvious answer is you cannot. Worry accomplishes nothing. We can add nothing to our lives by worrying. There may be greater sins than worry, but there are none more self-defeating and useless and the issue of worry. And let me just take the opportunity to point out to you this morning that worry is indeed a sin. Some of us like to sort of pride ourselves on, well, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned. Okay, put your thesaurus away and understand that you're worried. You're a worrier. 
Some of you are very good at your jobs because you're a worrier. My, my day job, my tent making job is a project manager. I get paid to worry about everything. That is my job. So I know what I'm talking about. You can't snow me here by using a different word. There's a beautiful verse in Philippians chapter 4, and it reads like this. Perhaps you know it. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Same word, anxiety, anxious. Jesus is telling us here not to worry. Paul is telling us, as the Holy Spirit is inspiring his pen, <clears throat> excuse me, to be anxious for nothing, a.k.a. don't worry. Kenneth Wiest, in his literal translation of this verse, writes it as follows, Stop worrying about even one thing, but in everything by prayer, whose essence is that of worship and devotion, and by supplication, which is a cry for your personal needs, with thanksgiving, let your requests for the things asked for be made known in the presence of God. Now, as we talk about the issue of anxiety or worry or fear, let me help you understand this morning that anxiety and fear are polar opposites to trust or faith. What is anxiety according to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary? It's a painful or apprehensive uneasiness of mind, usually over an impending or anticipated ill. Now, in my line of work, when we are planning a project, we have to have a risk register. And there are two types of risks categorically on the risk register, things in your control and things not in your control. The things in your control, we kind of walk through what are, what's the probability that those things might occur. And as we walk through the probability of those things that might occur, we try to develop obstacles and countermeasures so that we can try to understand it and then develop ahead of time a plan in case this thing happens. See what I told you about getting paid to worry? The other kind of risk is the things that are not in my control. Acts of God, tornadoes, earthquakes, hurricanes. I work in the high-tech semiconductor industry about, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago. I don't remember exactly. Some of you may remember. There was an earthquake that hit Japan. Japan is one of the centers for semiconductor development. When that earthquake hit, it shut down the world of electronics and the supply chain for like two months. And the world went into a panic. Let me tell you, when coronavirus hit, the same thing happened. And people are busily trying to cultivate new sources of supply chain so that they can, you know, develop uh, and, and manage the risk. Now, this is the corporate world, but what about our world? What goes in our world? What happens in our world? Isn't it the same kind of a thing? Whereas we're, we're, we're working toward a decision, there's something coming up in our lives, and we sit there and we think about, but what if this happens? And what if that happens? And we just kind of get caught up and we spin in it, don't we? And then sometimes we can find ourselves in that place called paralysis by analysis, where we're just stuck and we can't make a decision because fear has gripped us. And we're just overwhelmed with all of the what-ifs of life. That's what Jesus is addressing. That anxiety, that fear, that concern, 
that interest we have in all of the things that may or may not happen. You know, psychologists tell us that 92, 93% of what we worry about never actually happens. It never comes to pass. So you say, what? But there's still 7% possibility that it could happen. Jesus is saying, don't worry, trust me. He says, take no anxious thought. The word literally means, for anxiety, to be pulled in different directions. So the idea is, you put a rope around your neck and make just a standard knot, and as you pull it in different directions, what happens is it tightens around your neck. That's the idea behind anxiety. That's what it does to us. But you see, the solution that we've already covered is the Lord's Prayer. If I can direct your eyes back up a few verses to verse 9 of chapter 6, where Jesus said, In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, the problem is we get it wrong, don't we? We put our interests before God's. We, we come to God, and the first thing I want to do is spill my guts to God and tell him everything that's going on in my life and to make sure in great detail that he understands not only my problems but all the possibilities that my problems may bring. And he says, no, when you come to me, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. God, I'm here for you. God, who you are, you're holy what you've done. You're in heaven. You're the creator. You're the sovereign God of the universe. I'm coming to you. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom, God, is the thing that matters because we know as we read this book, when you get to the end, to the book of Revelation, what happens? What is the end of the story for the believer in Christ? We're all going to be with him in heaven, aren't we? We're all going to be in his kingdom. And all of the stuff that happened during the course of our life, and Psalm 90 says that if by reason of strength 70 or even 80 years that you have on this earth in the scope of eternity, what is that? James says it's a vapor. And you spent how much of your life worrying? When God himself created the earth. He spoke the worlds into existence. He founded my life and your life before the foundation of the earth. Before I was ever a thought in my mother's womb, God had already prepared for me all the days of my life and laid them out. That, that God, is he worthy of being trusted? According to Jesus, he is. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And only after we come to the Lord in that way and we acknowledge him in that way, he says, now you come and you say, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. And now what's he saying here? Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to drink. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Why? Because you come to God in prayer and you say, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. You see, we depend on God. We trust God for everything. Everything comes from his hand. If you have money in your bank account today, praise God, because he gave it to you. You may think, yeah, but I worked really hard for it, and perhaps you did. And thank God that he gave you the mind, and he gave you the wherewithal, he gave you the understanding to do the things that you do that allow you to provide an income for yourself. But understand that it's all the enablement of God, isn't it? God provided everything you have. He provided the, the vehicles. He provided the food. He provided the clothes. 
Everything we have comes from God's hand. You see, when we come to the Lord and the Lord's prayer in the way that Jesus has just taught us, we are literally coming before him on our knees. We are acknowledging who he is and who we are not. And we are not God. And of all the things that we spend our lives being uh, in control of or thinking we're in control of or worrying about, God is saying, I I already knew that. I already had that under control. In fact, he says in 1 Peter chapter 5, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. You see, the word care there is the same word. It's the word anxiety. Casting all your anxiety upon him. Casting all your fear upon him because he cares for you. The word care, the word anxiety also means to disunite, to part, or to divide, or to distract. And isn't that what happens when we fall into deep worry? We don't even think about the Lord. We're just distracted and we're thinking about the thing that we're worried about. Psalm 55 verse 22 says, cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. Is God's word true? Is it truth? Do you believe it? Because this is what God says is true. Cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. Psalm 94, verse 17, Unless the Lord had been my help, my soul would soon have settled in silence. That means death. If I say my foot slips, your mercy, O Lord, will hold me up. In the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comforts delight my soul. So what ought I to do when I fall into worry and when fear grips me? You run to Jesus. You call upon the Lord. You get on your knees in prayer and you say, Lord, help me. Lord, I can't shut my mind off. Lord, these fears have overwhelmed me. They've gripped me. My anxieties are many. And we come before God and we cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. Now, we all have friends, I hope. And there are some friends that we can talk to about anything. But there's some friends, and I'm sure you know this, I have them as well whom that's not the person you would go to to pour out your heart and say, look, just help me. Uh, There's the friends that are close in that you would open up your heart to and share these things with, and then there are those that, that you would not. But understand that God is that kind of friend, isn't he? That you can go to and you can pour your heart out before him. In the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comforts delight my soul. The comforts of God bring peace. And isn't that what we need in the midst of anxiety, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding that shall guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus? Psalm 139 says this, verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. And of course he does. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. I would encourage you to go to Psalm 139 verses 23 and 24 and underline them and highlight them and circle them and memorize them. Put them on a plaque above your sink or on your bathroom mirror. 
Cry out to God. God, search me. Lord, what's at the root of my anxiety and of my fear? I tell you, the past year of living with coronavirus, I have seen so much fear. And I don't think that that's the response that God would have us have to this trial that is in our lives. Proverbs 12:25, interesting verse says, anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. So for those of us, and there are many, who struggle with the issue of depression, it says here that anxiety is the root cause. And I'm just going to tell you, I believe the word of God. Now, you, you can pay money to go see someone to help you with your depression. And I'm not trying to minimize it or trivialize it. Please understand that. But the Bible says anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. So you would do well, I would do well, to go to the Lord and say, Lord, what is the root of this anxiety? What is this anxiety? Lord, show me. Help me, Lord. Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. You see, the Lord has his method, doesn't he? In John chapter 14, Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Then a little later in that same passage, John 14, 27, he said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now this is a command by Jesus. He is again saying here, as he's already said three times in the passage we've read today, do not worry. When he says, let not your heart be troubled, that is the same word. Do not be anxious. Do not be fearful. Their hearts were worried because in John 14, this is the night before Jesus is being crucified, they were anxious because Jesus was going to be taken from them. Hey, that's a pretty big worry, isn't it? My, my Lord, my Savior, my Master, he, he's going to disappear tomorrow. He's going to the grave and I'm never going to see him again. You see, the choice is to be anxious or to not to be anxious. The choice is to live in fear or to live in faith. The choice is to worry or to trust, to be or not to be. Are you telling me it's that simple? I am. Not because that's what I think, but because that's what God's word says. It is a choice. It is a choice to worry. It is a choice to focus on the negative. It is a choice to ruminate on the things that could go wrong. When God calls us to come to him, he calls us to come to him and pray. To say, Lord, I am anxious. Let's just confess it. Confess it as a sin. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of our sin. To cleanse us and to provide righteousness and respond to the faith that comes to him. The promise of God, the peace which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. When he says there in Philippians 4, 7, will guard your hearts and minds, that word means to stand as a sentry, to stand as a guard. So that every time you're tempted, and I'm tempted, to, to worry 
and to fear, we can say, God, I'm calling upon you right now. Lord, please give me your peace to stand guard so that I don't fall prey to worry, to fear, to anxiety. Well, coming back to our passage in Matthew chapter 6, verse 29, he says, And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, Solomon, if you go read the story of King Solomon, as far as we know, at least from a biblical point of view, he was the richest man in all the world. God blessed him with more of everything than, than as far as we know, anybody had been blessed. He had wealth beyond measure. He built the temple of God. He had incredible influence over the world. He had 300 wives, 700 concubines. He had a huge estate. And yet it was this man who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, if you've never read that, if you want to dig into fear and worry and apprehension and you want to say, where is it going to take me? Read the book of Ecclesiastes. I'm going to warn you, if you're, if you're depressed, don't read it. Wait till you're not depressed. Because what it, what it tells you is, now this is the misleading thing about the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon writes it as a person who knows God, but he's writing it as if he didn't. And he's saying, this is where anxiety and worry and fear and care leads you. But in the end, he comes back and he says, ah, but if you trust the Lord, he takes care of all that. Because Solomon himself, the richest man in the world, a man who had no reason to care. You know, we all deceive ourselves, don't we, into thinking that if I just had money, right, it would solve all my problems. Whatever your number is, a million dollars, two million dollars, a hundred thousand dollars, whatever your number is, if I just had the money, it would just solve all my problems. They would all go away. But what is God's perspective? That Yeah, but then you wouldn't trust me. You would, take, you, you would never think of me again if I gave you a million dollars or whatever it might be. Now, there are a few people that God has certainly blessed with great wealth and great responsibility and that they are using it for God's glory. But he says, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Like what? Like the birds of the air, the lilies of the field. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, you know, you cut your grass, you have your clippings, you put it in the compost pile, maybe you burn it. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So if God takes care of the birds, won't he take care of you? If God takes care of the lilies of the field, and he says Solomon and the richest man in the world with more means than anyone's ever had. He couldn't even, dressed in his white silk of royalty, he couldn't even dress himself as well as a flower that grows outside your doorstep. The lilies of the field. Now you might garden, but God's the ultimate gardener. Have you ever been to a field somewhere, a remote field, where it's just like this amazing, beautiful splash of color and you see all sorts of flowers and plants and you're like, Wow, God, that's amazing. God did that. Even Solomon, even you, even me, even if we had all those things, we wouldn't be as well off as a bird or a flower or even a blade of grass. 
how much more would he clothe you? And notice what he says here in verse 30, O you of little faith. You see, worry is the enemy of faith. Fear and trust, fear and faith are the antithesis of one another. George Mueller, who was a, a wonderful brother who lived in the heart of England back in the 1800s and had this ministry to orphans, he said, the beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. But the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. So if you want to know the answer to your fear, your worry, it's trust, it's faith, having faith in God. We read it this morning in Psalm 42, didn't we? Turn back there because we, we just read it. We sang it. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? The response of faith, hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Hope in God. There's the answer. He says, O you of little faith. You see, in all throughout the scriptures, God encourages us. He tells us that we need to have faith. We need to grow in faith. Faith is trust. Faith is dependence. Faith and trust are reliance upon God. He says in Ephesians 6, 16, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. I'm convinced that the wicked one uses as some of his fiery darts fear, anxiety, and worry to drown out the faith in our lives, to cause us to be distracted. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, thus the importance of reading and hearing the word of God. Romans eleven twenty. it says, well said because of, uh, their, of unbelief, they were broken off and you stand by faith. You see, we stand by faith. He says it again in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, not that we have dominion over your faith, but our fellow workers for your joy, for by faith you stand. Faith enables us to stand before God. In Ephesians 2.8, a verse that many of us have memorized, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Now, if your faith in the promises of God is powerful enough to secure your salvation, is that same faith not powerful enough to secure peace in the midst of worry? I hope it is, or else we all just pack up and go home. Why, why bother coming to church if faith isn't real, if Jesus isn't real, if his death on the cross didn't secure my salvation, then why am I here? But if it did, and it most certainly did, and we're going to talk about it in the next few weeks, then can't I trust him to take care of the smallest details of my life, the things that I worry about? But you don't understand, cancer's involved. My friend Billy Rutledge, I just mentioned, this man's just kept on serving the Lord, even though I know he has gone through tremendous difficulty. He's traveling to the mission field in the middle of coronavirus, 
to a place that is probably rife with coronavirus, and he has a compromised immune system, and there ain't no vaccine that's going to help him, okay? And he's serving God with faith. Why? Because God's in control of my life. Not the virus, not the government, not the vaccine. God's in control. All right, third week in a row, you guys are awake. You get a big pay raise this week. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Listen to this beautiful expression by John the Apostle in 1 John chapter 5. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you understand that the simple faith that Jesus is the Son of God is the root and the basis of everything that we believe and hold to as believers in Christ? It is the foundational principle for why we gather, for why we believe this book is the Word of God. And if that faith is strong enough to secure my salvation, and I hope, I hope to God today that everyone listening knows Christ here in this room, but if you don't, this is an open invitation right now in the middle of the sermon to say, if you don't know Christ, I just invite you right now to bend your heart, to bend your knee, and to invite Christ into your life because there is no other way than the way of the cross and the way of Jesus. We can have faith, but faith in one who is not faithful means nothing, right? We have, we have friends, we've seen people who are unfaithful people. But God is faithful, isn't he? Deuteronomy chapter 7, Therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God, he is the faithful God who keeps covenants and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and those who keep his commandments. You see, my faith, your faith is in one who is in faithful, is in one who is faithful. It's in one who is trustworthy. Psalm 119 verse 138, your testimonies which you have commanded are righteous and very faithful. The word of God is faithful. Isaiah 49, 7, Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, their Holy One, to him whom man despises, to him whom the nations abhor, to the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes also shall worship, because the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, he has chosen you. God is faithful. Hosea chapter 11, verse 12, Ephraim has encircled me with lies and the house of Israel with deceit, but Judah still walks with God, even with the Holy One who is faithful. You see, if God is not faithful, then again, what does it mean? So my faith is in the faithful creator. My faith is in God. And if my faith is in God and there is no one more faithful than him, if there is no one higher than him, if there is no one more powerful than him, and again, if I can trust him for my salvation. Listen, if you are trusting God to redeem your soul from the pit of hell, 
Can you not trust him to take care of the smallest or the biggest thing in your life? That same faith that you exercise and you by, by that faith you lay claim to salvation is the same faith by which you lay claim to the victory that is in Christ. You see, you don't have to worry. Or if I may take a little liberty this morning, let God do the worrying for you. Cast your cares on him because he cares for you. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 Corinthians 1.9. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we are faithless, which is mostly the case, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Why? Because if you've believed in him, if you know him, he's put his Holy Spirit in you. He says, I can't deny myself. That's my, that's my child. That's my son. That's my daughter. The disciples came to Jesus, Luke 17. It says here, and the apostles said to the Lord, Lord, increase our faith. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, and you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, it would obey you. You see, that's the kind of faith. We tend to think that the faith that moves mountains only exists somewhere else. It exists in our dreams, it exists in Scripture, but it doesn't exist in reality. Listen, Scripture is reality. God's Word defines reality. Too often, here's the problem, we allow our experience to define reality, but God's Word defines how we see our experience. God's Word defines how I see reality. God's Word are my glasses, they're my lenses to life. Therefore, verse 31, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, meaning people who don't know God. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Matthew Henry, who is a wonderful scholar and has written much about the scriptures, said after he had been robbed, Lord, I thank you. I thank you that I've never been robbed before. That although they took my money, they spared my life. That although they took everything, it wasn't very much. And I thank you that it was I who was robbed and not I who did the robbing. What a great perspective, isn't it? Turn to the Lord when something happens. When, when something bad happens, you turn to the Lord. Psalm 37. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way, that is, God delights in the way of that man who is trusting in the Lord. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. And I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. Psalm 37 says, do not fret. That means worry. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Many people have that memorized. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. You see, that's what worry is, isn't it? It's leaning on your own understanding, on your ability to figure it out. 
on your ability to come up with a good plan that will work and that will help you achieve your goal, your desired end result. And let me caution us this morning about something with our praying. So often, uh, I've done it, but we, but we all do it. We, we pray outcome-based prayers. That's not faith. God, I just want you to do this. Lord, just heal them from the cancer. Lord, just pay this bill. Now, we should bring our needs before the Lord, but listen, God's more interested in our faith, our trust, and our hope. So we come to the Lord. Lord, Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our, our debts or our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. That's the model Jesus gave us. Is it wrong to pray for things that I, I want or I need? No, but let's be careful about trying to tell God how he should answer our prayers. That's not faith. That's leaning on your own understanding. He said, in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. You want to be led by the Lord? You want God to lead you? You want him to do Psalm 119, 105 for you? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In all your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. For after all these things the Gentiles seek and your heavenly father knows that you need these things. You see, worry is of the world. Verse 33, but seek first his kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's what we just read about in the prayer that he gave us, the model to follow when we pray. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. What are the all things? The things you're concerned about, God will take care of them. Remember, as he's, just, he's just said, God takes care of the birds. God clothes the flowers. God takes care of the grass. Aren't you more important to him than any of those things? If you just seek the Lord, seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, he'll take care of everything else. Seek, this word here is a present imperative. It means make a daily choice. It's a continual thing. When we get up in the morning, we have to have a daily resolution to seek first his kingdom. This needs to be more than a verse we memorize. It needs to become a way of life. It needs to become the way we think. You see, too often we're seeking comfort and convenience over Christ-like character. What's your five-year plan? To learn to trust the Lord. It's Matthew 6.33. Here's a question for all of us. What do you seek first? Do you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness? Or do you seek your own stuff? What dominates your life? What dominates your thinking? What takes up the bulk of your time? What do you spend the most time focused on? Back in the day of David and Goliath, people were focused on what was happening in their country, and this, this man named Goliath represented everything that the, uh, the evil government was that was coming against the nation of Israel. And everyone was concerned that they were done for. 
and there was a, there was a, a battle line, there was a front line, and there was a, an open field or a valley, and on the other side was the enemy. And there was Goliath, who was nine and a half feet tall at least by the reckoning of the cubits. And on the other side were the, the children of Israel, and they were cowering in fear. And so David, as you may recall the story, was sent to the front line because that's where his brothers were, and they sent him as the errand boy to bring lunch to everybody. And uh, as he went out to take care of it, he walked up, and he's looking around, and they're all in fear, and they're playing cards and backgammon and whatever. And, and, and what's happening? They're out every morning. The giants come out and they're like taunt the people of Israel and like, who is your God? You're just a bunch of dogs. Your God has abandoned you. And David hears this, the little shrimp of a guy, the runt of the litter. And he says, who is this dog who insults the God of Israel? We got to go out and take care of him. And they're like, no, no, no. King Saul's like, David, you don't know what you're talking about, man. You're talking about faith in God. This is real. Goliath is real. He's right there. Look at the size of his sword. And what does David do? He stands up and he says, God's bigger than all this. What's wrong with you people? Where's your faith? He says, I'll take him on. And they said, here, you you need some armor? We'll, We'll load you up. And David's like, I can't wear that stuff. And he runs down to the creek. And he gets five smooth stones, little rocks. And he has his sling, his slingshot. And he's like, I got this. And they're like, this is the end of us, man. You're going to go out there and humiliate the whole nation. And David's, no, man, God's bigger than this. You know the story? And what happened? David went out and he stood against him and he says, you mock God, but God is bigger than all of this. You can read the exact story. I'm paraphrasing. And David stood there. He reached in. He got a stone. All right, come on. And he's like, what? You see this sword? You see this armor? You see the helmet? I'm a trained warrior. I'm a special services green beret. I'm, I'm black ops, man. You can't touch me. And David goes, Foo. And what happened? The rock goes right to the one place where his armor is exposed, right in the middle of his forehead. Hits him and he keels over dead. And what happened? The children of Israel go, yay, God. <laughs> and right, and they start rejoicing. But what happened? It took one man with a mustard seed of faith to stand up to fear, to intimidation, to worry. David took care of it. Now, we idolize David, but David is an expression of faith, isn't he? Therefore, verse 34, do not worry. Third time, we've been told this by Jesus. Do not worry about tomorrow. Some of us are stuck in yesterday, right? We're worrying about what happened to us in the past and we can't let it go. That's worry, that's sin, and God has been telling us over and over and over here, let it go. You're saying, but I can't, I need therapy. Again, I don't mean to minimize your pain, but I'm telling you, God's word has something here for us, doesn't it? Turn to the Lord. Cry out to God, God, I have this thing. How do I deal with it? Let God minister to you. Therefore, do not worry about yesterday. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I'd like to tell you that worry is directly related to our devotional life, our fellowship with God. Matthew 10, 19, Jesus said, But when they deliver you up, speaking to the disciples, 
Do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. What's he saying? Trust the Holy Spirit. Trust that God will take care of it. But when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak. But whatever is given you in that hour, speak that. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Boy, isn't that faith. Loss of joy today, worrying about tomorrow, does not help either tomorrow or today. If anything, it robs us of our effectiveness today, which means we'll, we will be even less effective tomorrow. Someone has said that the average person is crucifying himself between two thieves. The regrets of yesterday and the worries about tomorrow. It is right to plan for the future and even to save for the future, but it is a sin to worry about the future and permit tomorrow to rob today of its blessings. If we're walking with God, seeking his face, listening for his voice, we will have peace. Remember the story of Martha and Mary? Now it happened as they went that Jesus entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house and she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and she heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister, who's right here by the way, has left me to serve alone? Tell her to get up and help me. Act as dad. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken apart away from her. What was the good part? She sat at the feet of Jesus. There was an opportunity to hear from the Lord, and she took it. Psalm 37, rest in the Lord, wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way. In other words, don't worry about what's going on out there. Because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Listen, cease from anger, forsake wrath, do not fret, do not worry, it only causes harm. In other words, nothing good can come from worry. It's not possible. You see, it's not don't worry, be happy. It's don't worry and trust God. It's don't worry and hate, have faith in God because he will take care of it. The Apostle Paul, at one point in his life, came before the Lord, and he was going through some very deep things, and he says, lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations that God had given him, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, this issue, this trial, I pleaded with the Lord three times. I prayed that it might depart from me his outcome-based prayer. And he said, this is God speaking to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see, God has a plan. And if we will allow him to accomplish his plan in our lives, you see, my pain, my suffering, my difficulty might be a part of what God wants to do, not only in my life, but in the lives of those around us. I mean, I've mentioned people's names to you today, right? I've mentioned pastor friends and whatnot who are going through things. 
God is using them. He's using their difficulties to encourage and inspire us to faith. But as we close this morning on the issue of worry and anxiety, let me remind you of this little saying that we've said many times before. "'Tis only one life, twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. And worry doesn't count." Lord, thank you this morning for your word. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you, Lord, for ministering to us. Thank you for giving us everything we need. And so, Lord, we just this morning come to you and ask you to fill us with your Holy Spirit and to give us faith. Lord, increase our faith. Lord, show us how to walk by faith and not by sight, not by feeling. And Lord, all of the things you've given to us this morning, may we take them, may, may they help us through the application of the truth to trust you and to cast away worry and fear and anxiety. And to, Lord, allow us to experience the victory of walking in faith. Lord, many of us this morning, I sense, just need to be freed from the fear and the worry. And Lord, we ask you to meet them right now as they quietly ask you for help in their time of need. You're the one who said that if we come before the throne of grace in time of need, that you would hear and that you would answer. So Lord, we are here asking this morning. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for being forbearing with us. Lord, we're so weak, we're so frail, we're so fragile, but you are so good. Lord, you are so faithful. And as we come to the table this morning and we remember your goodness, we remember your faithfulness, may you bless us, may you fill us in Jesus' name, amen.